This is the second episode for Emilio. If you haven't listened to the first episode, please go back to the previous episode to start. And that's, of course, assuming you listen to Randy's and CP's episode. All the episodes are linked in the show notes, so go check them out. Just as last time, there is language, violence, and sexual content mentioned, so listener discretion is definitely advised. And we are back. So kind of segueing from that, Right into juvenile prison. I'm curious if you can just tell us a little bit about juvenile prison itself as you think about it. Juvenile prison in the state of Ohio, known for violence and the corruption and this negativity, it's hard for a juvenile to actually go there and rehabilitate him. Why? It's hard because everything is so small there and you go to school with everybody, the whole institution, and gangs. This is gangs run the whole institution, and there's only two gangs in DYS: the hardless felons or the headbusters. The violence and the fighting in there is is like it's a lot. Young men who go there, if they go there wanting to change, because they're just around so much negativity, you're not going to be able to concentrate on yourself and focusing on school. When you're in school, you have to look over your shoulder and worry about somebody assaulting. In that place, you have to survive in there. And it, it shouldn't be like that, but it is. And it's rough. So Emilio, we spoke a little bit about your childhood and the the events that led to juvenile prison. Could you take us a little bit more through your timeline? When I was 13 years old. I got charged with three felonious assault charges and a gun spit, they gave me a six-year sentence. From 2013, and I was supposed to get out in 2019, but I had good behavior in there, and I had got an early release after five years. I got released 2018, February 22nd. It's like I came home to a whole different world. At first, when I came home, being so young and gone for so long, it felt uncomfortable. I had to adjust the world and life, I really had to accept and tell myself, like, this is really the real world out here. And I was only out for four and a half months, five months at the most. What were you doing those five months? To me, it felt like the five years I just did, to be honest. How so? The first month I had got out of juvenile prison, I had got my temps, and then I had got my license and insurance. And my mother gave me one of her cars, and it was a Jeep Cherokee. And that was just the first month I had came home. And like the second month I had my parole officer set me up with a job at Target. And it was all right. Just didn't like it did. It, it wasn't for me. Like that wasn't the job for me. And I knew that I can apply for other jobs elsewhere. So I quit Target and I worked at Bowling Green University or their campus for a carpet cleaning service. That was more, I enjoyed that. I was doing good for for the time I was out. But in all reality, I was still communicating with, with my gang members. And I came home, I was doing the right thing. I was doing what I was supposed to do and what I had to do for me to be successful and me to be, like, I, I was on the right path. But it's like I still had, like, I was half and half. Like, I, w- I would still go to the neighborhood I was in and be around all my gang members, like, all, everyone I grew up with. And... Being around, like, all the violence, and there's a violence every day, no matter where 
I was at always around because that's what I surrounded myself by. And eventually one thing led to another to where um, I made it another crime. I did a high speed chase and that's all I really did. But the time I got my charge I'm in for here now, got back incarcerated in the adult system. I got a three years for failure to comply, which is just another word, another charge for a high speed chase. And I admitted to that. My other charges they charged me with is uh, aggravated burglary with a gun spec. I'm not guilty, but I had took that case to trial and I had lost. I'm currently fighting for an appeal as we speak. They gave me 12 years for that. So altogether, I came right back to the system with the adult system now, but more time than what I was doing as a kid. Now I have 15 years and currently 22. Now I'll be 23 next month. So I've been in incarcerated I was 13 years old. I was only home for five months. And looking back at it now, it didn't even feel real. Do you have any feelings of, you know, this is unfair or the system is just rigged against me or there's no chance? Of course I do. Like now in juvenile prison, it's so hard to focus on yourself and doing the right thing and changing as a better person, but it's possible. The odds of it is slim because there's just so much violence everywhere you go or in there, everywhere you go. And people try to extort you. What's the violence about? It's just young men and kids in there who, it's young-minded people who just, you can literally be minding your business and you will have someone approach you and try, trying to extort you and take your commissary and your hygiene. An adult prison doesn't have that as much? People are more mature in a dark prison, but it happens. It happens every day, but it happens less. The difference between a dark prison and juvenile prison, though, on the violent side, a dark prison, people actually die in here. People actually get stabbed in here. It's not even just like the, what you see on the movies. What you see on the movies is like the real deal. People get raped in here. I, I see it every day. Did this ever happen to you? I don't carry myself to where people will, someone will do that to me. I would never put myself in that type of predicament. Have you gotten beaten or stabbed? <laughs> I have. I have. And For what? I had got stabbed my arm, but it came from the streets. Like from, from my past, somebody ordered a hit out on me in here from out there in the outside world. And, and what I mean by hit, Somebody paid somebody money to stab me, and it didn't turn out like how he thought it was going to be. And I got the scar from when he did it, but it didn't play out how he wanted it to be. Like, I wasn't on the ground gasping for air with holes in me. I seen it coming, and I had people in here that I associate myself with, and they seen it coming, and we all put a stop to it. And I got stabbed in my arm and really sliced, and... We started jumping him. One thing led to another. He was on the ground. As far as my jaw being broke, I had got my jaw and my chin broke in two different places. And it all happened at one time. Somebody assaulted me when I wasn't looking, and he had a lock in his hand, like a, a combination lock. And he held it in his hand like there was brass knuckles. I was looking away, talking to somebody, and the person I was talking to told me to watch out. I was so confused because I didn't know what he meant. I didn't know what he was saying. I didn't know what he meant by it because of the conversation we were having. And he just yelled my name. 
He's like, what's out, Emilio? Out of nowhere. And it caught me off guard. I dropped my mouth. I was like, what? As soon as I said what, I felt instant pain. And that was the worst pain I ever felt my whole life. I grabbed my face. I put my head down. And I turned around. And he was right there. And the person that saw me was right there. And he had his hands up like he wanted to fight me. I had no choice but to fight in that type of situation. And I've been through a lot. I literally started fighting him while my jaw was hanging. And when he hit me again with a lot, that's when it, he hit me on my chin and it split my chin down the middle. By then, the correctional officer was there using his can of mace on him. And me, blood was just everywhere. It looked like somebody had shot me in the face. And that's exactly what it felt like. That was like the second traumatizing thing that ever happened to me my whole life. Let's go back to when you were out and you had a job and you were doing everything you're supposed to be doing. Was there any moment that you can remember where things went south? It's like who I am and what my reputation is when I was home and just in general. The part of me being in a gang and being like where I'm from and who I am is just a main part of my life. Like that's like all I knew was the streets and being in the gang and when I came home I tried to do the right thing. I was doing the right thing. Tell me about you driving by the cemetery where your father is buried. I can't go see my dad without my back. I felt like I was disrespecting my father going there and not showing my respect because like father died for this. Like my dad gave his life and put it all into being in the games and gave his all to it. So for me to go to the cemetery without my blue flag, I didn't even feel right. Like I was just disrespecting my dad and his legacy and his name. So once I really put like my blue flag on, I start wearing it. I represent my gang and what I stand on. It just brought back that side of me. It triggered something in me to where I felt like this is who I am and this is all I know. So this is what I feel most comfortable doing. And like one thing led to another. I was back in deep. Like I felt like I was just acting. I was just trying to be somebody I wasn't. Do you wish you have chosen differently, knowing that that ended you back in prison? I don't. My children, my boys, like, that's a blessing. My whole life, I, I feel like I always had a dark cloud over me. As much blessings as I received in my life, I can count. I can only count on one hand, and my two sons are one of them. Only blessings I can count on my one hand. So I don't regret nothing that I ever did in my life in my life. Me not growing up without no dad and knowing how it feels, I'm happy and I appreciate God getting two sons. And even being incarcerated now, I'm close with them. Like, them are my boys. Like, them, our bond is so tight, you would literally think they were brothers. Like, them are my little brothers. The way we look, I look young. And I am young, and they're young. I talk to them on a daily basis. As somebody who's experienced so much violence, and you called it a dark cloud in your life, and the opposite of blessings. You've also participated in a number of violent activities and acts. How do you grapple with the fact that you've caused harm and hurt somebody? Like what goes through your mind when you're acting violently? Is it self-defense? Is it revenge? Is it what's the rationale that goes on in your mind when you're you, you are harming someone? The way I used to think of it, the way I used to just, carry myself 
revenge was my biggest thing to me. Like me causing harm and violence and hurting someone else. I got so used to it, used to doing it. And people try to stop me. Like like my other gang members, like my dad's side of the family. And I don't know if I let you know that we're all lokes, we're all crips. So like my cousins and my, my uncles, they all try to control me and like try to tell me to calm down. But like I said, I started off young. By the time I was 11, I was looked at, I was well respected in the streets. Like everybody like knew I was serious about everything I did. So it got to the point, like it was just so much of an adrenaline rush for me. And I felt so comfortable doing it. That's just what it was. Like it, I didn't think nothing of it. I never thought twice when I, when I do what I do while I'm doing it, because that can cost me my life. And it can happen to people I know. Is there a line you wouldn't cross? It's crazy you asked me that because I was literally just talking to my Philly last night about that. I'm going to be all the way honest with you. So I used to think, like, I'm not, I was always the baby of everybody. And, like, I did me. I didn't listen to nobody. I didn't take no orders. I earned my respect. I earned my rank. I earned my, my legacy. I earned my own name. So the way I was thinking, like, now people in gangs, they have a, a big pet peeve that they don't kill children or women. And I understand why they say it, but in my eyes, I thought like I wouldn't intentionally kill no children or women or no old people, but due to the circumstances, like I don't mind it, like because nothing bothered you. Like should have nothing, nothing bothered me like at all. I didn't, I didn't, I did what was necessary. And I live my life right now pain. Not regret, but I live my life in pain. And sometimes I catch myself being stressed out and depressed and having nightmares because of my past and the way I used to think as a, as a child. And, and I know and I know it wasn't right now, now that I'm older and I'm actually smarter and mentally advanced. I know when I was a kid, like, I know that wasn't right now. Like, but when I was young, I didn't have no remorse for nothing I did for nobody, like, and my own cousins, my own gang members know, like, not to disrespect me. Like, nobody, like, I don't tolerate nothing. And when it comes down to, like, I don't live my life with regret, I didn't have no remorse. I did what was necessary, whether whether it was chopping the children's finger off or tying a woman up. And it, it don't matter what it was. Like, I did what was necessary and did what had to be done because of the circumstances or the situation that might, it came down to that. No, I didn't. Like I said, I don't intentionally do it just to do it. I do everything I did for a reason. And I didn't start the beef. Like, I didn't start, like, what I was doing, I didn't go around just starting problems with, with other gangs. People, they killed my dad in front of me on my birthday. And I lived my life growing up thinking about that every night. So, like I said, it was traumatizing to me. And so now that I, I'm actually old enough to retaliate and do something about it, I didn't have no standards. I don't care what nobody told me. I don't care if there was family. So as I'm editing this, there's so many things I'm cutting out just because we're being interrupted every 15 minutes. The call is dropped and then Emilio calls in and then CP and I have a conversation about how the interview is going. A lot of it is taken out. So this is what I'm telling Emilio as we get our one minute notice that the call will be dropped, what I'd like for him to focus on when we get on the next call. I 
want to focus on your growth and your maturity and how you're different now and how that happened. You describe your old self as somebody with that coldness. You do what you got to do and everything was black and white and you got to do what you got to do. And it makes sense that that's a child's brain, how it works. And then and then you grow up, you mature, you do the work, the self-work that you're doing. You see life a little bit. You become a father. Then you're seeing life differently. So as we all symbolically wait for Emilio to call in, CP fills us in a little bit on the context of when she met him for the first time. So he grew up knowing his father had killed a house full of a family. And then that person's cousin came and shot his dad in front of him. So like this is the context he grew up in. When I met him, cannot explain to you what it was like to see this kid who looked like he carried himself like he was 24. But his 23-year-old cousin took over his place in the gang when he came to prison. He was 13. Like this kid who had like no spark or facek or fias or anything. Zero He just looked like, not even soulless, he had a soul. I can't explain to you what he was like. And it makes sense. Like, you can't tie a woman up screaming or cut a finger off while you're still a human. You can't do that. So it's just so insane. Like, it's this is really just the craziest thing. So crazy. Talk to me about your work with CP. What did you think of her? How are you different today? And how did that happen? Well, first of all, let me just give CP your credit, man. He is a very, very, very intelligent, generous person. Like I appreciate CP. Like CP, when I first met CP, thirteen, she was twenty-three, and and it's been nothing but love and respect and understanding since like first day we met each other. And we've been knowing each other for about to be ten years now. So CP is the person in my life. I'm assuming you didn't trust her right away. Yeah, you know, I was getting the feeling to know her, and we built where we at now. Like, we came a long way. I don't trust nobody right away at first. Even now, like, even where I'm at now in my life, I still don't trust people nowadays. Especially in an environment like this, I just known to not have your best interests. One thing led to another. After a while, me and CP got really close, like, to where, like, I felt comfortable enough to tell her my life and my deepest, darkest secrets. And I felt like I can trust her. I knew I can trust her. And a person like me, like people say that you're not supposed to tell nobody on what you do when it comes down to that because you, you might get caught for it and it might come back to you and people talk. And I understand that, but when you got as much blood on your hands as I do at such a young age, like it's hard to just keep it all to myself. Like, hard it's like it it eats me up inside and I explained to CP and I just I'll be honest with her I opened up to her and I never had nobody in my life that I could actually really do that I appreciate it and then she she worked with me and she seen where my weaknesses was and where I needed to be broke down and built back up to the normal age I was supposed to be like because when she met me I was 13 but in her eyes, I was like 19, 20, right? So she broke me down to the kid I was supposed to be, to the young te- to the teenager I was supposed to be, and built me back up mentally. So she's actually the person that got me to view life and see it for what it is. I always used to think my whole life before I met her was like, was, life wasn't 
nothing but just being in a gang and being in the neighborhood and just I thought that's all that was to life, like because I was always surrounded by that my whole life, and that's all people do is either die or go to jail or be a successful drug dealer. But eventually they get caught, and yeah. So CP got me to really understand that that's not even what life is about. Nowhere near. Life is so much bigger than what I thought it was. Once I realized that, really understood that. I got to like working on my my people skills and building relationships with, with with people and actually getting to know other individuals and human beings and so now everything that I've learned and everything that she done taught me plus everything I already knew and everything I've been just going through as these years went on to now I feel like I'm 40 <laughs> and I'm only 22 but. Literally, so I take that and I give it to my kids. I explain to them in the best way I can, in the, in the most understandable way that they could. I just give them the knowledge my life is, and, and that's what it's all about for me. Like mentally, I changed, and I know I didn't. Like regardless of the fact what the judge might see or what the judge thinks or whoever, like people who actually know me and that's actually around me. They know I'm not that type of, they know I'm not the same. I had messed up ways because I was a kid and I thought was what was right at the time or did I have a mental health problem? And I didn't know what it was, but now I know that I was wrong for whatever I was doing. And I try, I put my kids in a good school to where they don't have to go be around all the negativity going to public, to little public schools. Being incarcerated in here, like I make, I make good money. I make a living. There's a lot of money in prison, let it be known. And, and, pe- and people already know that, like administration, everybody know that already. So I'm not telling you guys, I'm not saying nothing that's new or that's exposing my hand. When I get caught with, with something, drugs in here, and I go to the hole, what I get caught with is worth like 15, anywhere between 10 to 15 to 20,000, easy like that. And I make good money in here. So I take care of my boys. I take whatever they need. And, Make sure they're in good good neighborhoods and good schools to where they don't have to worry about or go through what I went through as a kid and not I don't want them to need or want for nothing and I'm not gonna spoil them because I know what that comes with and violence and all that. They're not gonna be around that and I make sure that because when you get out when I come home this time. What's gonna be different this time? Oh well you know what? My first time I came home I said I wasn't ever coming back to jail. I swore up and down I wasn't coming back to jail, but I thought I knew it all. I tried to do the right thing. Like I tried to move to Cleveland and my judge didn't let me. She they forced me to move back to Toledo. And fair enough, like statistically, I came back and now I'm in adult prison. Well, now the difference between me and when I come home now is just like, I look at everything different. Like not even just, not even just people. I enjoy, doing good and it's it's crazy because like for me to say i enjoy helping people like that that makes me happy when i help people like i actually be smiling and it makes me feel something and i feel something inside of me that actually just excites me and it's unbelievable just because of where i came from and what i did in my life like i appreciate it and i thank god how did that happen mentally i wanted this for my life i didn't want to be a statistic and end up in life and jail or dead like 
I got boys, I got kids to live for it, and I understood they needed me, and they need me still. And sometimes I beat myself up for getting locked back up, but at the same time, I'm a strong believer on everything happens for a reason. When I come home this time, no matter where I'm at, there's always going to be the same violence around, but I'm not surrounding myself by that type of negativity in my life no more, so I'm not even on that type of level. Mentally, physically, I'm not, I don't want to be around it. I'm not even going to go looking for it on God, and, and I appreciate God, and I pray, I do what I have to do. I'm righteous, so that's the difference between back then and now. Like, I'm I'm righteous. I'm a very righteous person now, and I found God. I honestly can say I found God. I thank God for helping me come find him, and I thank CP for being a big part of it, like, to this day and forever going to be. So right now you're making great money on the inside. Worst thing that could happen for the drugs. I mean, there are lots of things could happen, but you go to the hole, right? When you go on the outside, you can't get a job with a criminal record, you know, that pays well, that's complicated. Selling drugs will get you back on the inside. You sound very optimistic. I'm not going to be used to this thing. Like, I know when I go home, my options is limited to like, as far as like my work and I know that, like, my paycheck's not going to be the same, what I'm making here. But I'm comfortable with that. Like, I understand that, and I'm comfortable with that, and I don't mind it. I'm not too eager for money. I'd have made enough money in here to where I'm comfortably can just live my I can go home t- tomorrow, today, live a life for a few years successfully and still have money. Like, I built and I established everything to where I go home. If I ever end up in a situation where I don't, it's hard for me. I'll always have money to fall back on and make sure, all right, me and my kids, so. CP, tell us a little bit about what your relationship with Emilio is like on your end. I know it's a professional relationship, but it's so much more than that. I guess I have a few thoughts. It's just like so insane how you've chosen like to work on yourself the way you have and how you allowed yourself to experience a healed life and how you trusted the process. I think more than trusting me, you trusted yourself. Like you knew that your instincts were spot on. You knew that you read people probably the best I've ever met in my life. And you knew that if something felt safe or felt right, it probably was. So I think, you know, we've talked about this before, but the fact that at 13, you allowed yourself to connect with me and then stay connected with me for 10 years really is all you. And I can see why you say that, and I understand. And I never even looked at it like that. I mean, I always know, like, can nobody change me but me because no matter what people tell me or try to, you feel me, like the game they give me and help me out and teach me new stuff, it's on me. If I, if I want to change, then... Nobody changed me but me, and I, mm-hmm. and I realized that a long time ago. You inspired me to change. Like, me meeting you and realizing I can actually live a good life if I want to. And now as far as my kids, like, they played a big role in it too, but before I even thought like that, where I'm from, it's an all-generation thing, like, my cousins, their kids isn't growing up in, in, in the neighborhood right now. So when they get a little bit of age, they're going to be Crips and 
Like, it's just a, a nonstop thing. And to be honest, if I would have never came to prison or juvenile prison, my boys would have, like, I was so I was so into the streets. Like, my boys would have been crips. I honestly appreciate everything done for me. I know it's me. I was saying in my eyes, it wasn't just me. It was you, too. I believe everything happens for a reason. And I always believed that since I was a kid. So... And I always ask myself, why did God, like, why is TP still in my life, God's fight? It took me to get my jaw broke to actually realize why God kept you in my life for so long. You know, this whole time I've been praying and asking God to help me find him and help me get closer to him. For the longest, like, I, I, I put the Bibles and the Korans down because I didn't understand and really understand or believe what they were saying. And I just pray. And I know there's a God, so I would just sit back and pray and just and beg him to help me find him. And the whole time, I was I, remember I was sitting in the hospital bed thinking, like, about you and how I'm going to tell you, like, what just happened to me. And how can I tell you? Like, how can I tell her I just got my jaw, bro, like? wires shut and I have eight screws in a plate in my chin right now and I haven't my in forever my rest of my life and I know for everyone that's listening and that can hear me and what I was just talking about anybody can can change like there shouldn't be no excuse why any human being don't want to change the way their thought process are, is and unless you really have like a mental health problem and whatnot but I came from nothing from the most savages stuff and the most sins like I did I did, did it all and for me to be where I'm at now anybody can do it be real with yourself and don't lie to other people you don't lie to yourself if you really want to change you can do it because I did it and I did it and I do it every day what I love the most about what you just said is that you realize that at the end of the day you could have the best people in your life or the worst people in your life or found God or not found God but you made the choice to change and that's why you changed. And I love that ownership that you have. And I love that comfort level with it. And that recognition of like your absolute own involvement in your own journey and your healing and your success. The fact that you own that and that you recognize that and that you could express it and appreciate yourself for all the effort that you put in and all the risks that you took to try a new life, I think is awesome. And I think it really is so inspirational for people to hear you and to hear your story and to hear, if I did it, you could do it. If I did it, then you can do it. And I love that. I also want to mention it because, you know, you were saying for people listening and things like that, you and I know this, Amelia, obviously that our relationship is very, very, very unique. I'm going to actually put the ball in your court. Like there are people out there who might be wondering, like, how does CP not violate certain boundaries? How does she not end up in a position where she's making decisions that she really wouldn't want to make? Like, what are some clear-cut boundaries that she has up so that she can maintain her presence in his life and be everything that he needs within an appropriate context? Like, can you share some of the boundaries with you being in there that I have up that no matter what, I won't cross? So, you don't accept my money because... <laughs> You always tell me that you'll never accept my contraband illegal money for one. So, I do always uh, tell you that. That's true. And I offer it. It just it wouldn't be it wouldn't feel right if I don't offer it because uh, yeah, so, makes sense. I don't. Oh, I was just saying like when you had contraband phones, 
Like I never, we never communicated once on it ever. Like those are the barriers. Like I can just imagine people who, you know, go ahead, babe. Oh yeah, for sure. Like I I couldn't even, I wouldn't even put you in that type of predicament to where when the contraband phone, eventually every phone gets phoned because they do raids and strip search you and they do it all. So there's no hiding no such thing from, and no matter where you think you can hide it, there ain't no hiding no such thing from. So, and I would never even have your number in that phone because they, they right. crack, no matter if you got a lock on it or whatever, they, they can crack the phones, jailbreak the phones and go through your contacts and your social medias and find out what you're messaging, see if you're messaging any COs in here and take all your right. numbers down and they do the whole thing. And I would never put you in that type of predicament to where they, see you on my call log or text messages and red flag you and restrict you on my list. I wanted to just clarify, like the people who are wondering how this relationship could be, let alone 10 years later, are right for wondering that. And obviously it would be much easier for me to have left UAS when you were 15 and then to have moved down with my life. It wouldn't have been as meaningful and having you in it is like, you know, I, we all often talk about how it's, I'm just like completely inspired. And you absolutely help me, like just you being who you are. And you know this, but in terms of easy or like, you know, the safe option would have been like, all right, I knew you, good luck to him or not, you know, and then see your name in the news again. But I chose this because you chose this. And one of the things we always talk about is like, I'll only work as hard as you do. Remember we talked about how your 100% effort will look different than mine. Mine might look like a lot more than yours, but that's because your 100% is limited at certain parts of your life. So I'm just saying for those people who are wondering, like it is real, it's a choice I make. There are very clear things that are in place and I wouldn't change it for the world. Like it's the biggest honor to have this special relationship with you and to watch you on this journey and to be a part of who, who you're becoming and the impact that I think you're already making on the world. I appreciate it. And my already know, like, I look at you like my best friend, CP, and where we came from, from being my social worker, my best friend. <laughs> in my mm. eyes, like, in my category, that's a long way, and you earned that position. Thank you so, so much, Emilio. I appreciate you guys. And- Thank you so much for listening until the end. I hope this was a meaningful episode for you and a meaningful series for you. Please do join the discussion on the WhatsApp group to continue the conversation. I'd love to hear your feedback. Please continue to share this podcast with your friends and communities. I also want to mention one more thing that CP wanted me to add in. Notice that Randy moved into a new environment and Emilio stayed in the same environment, which is what forced him back into his old ways. And that ended him back in prison. New environments can really set people up for a new life. And when real change needs to happen, it needs a new environment. I want to thank CP from the bottom of my heart for doing this series with me and trusting me with the stories and with her kids. The Francisca Show is part of the Jewish Coffeehouse Network, so check out the other podcasts on the network. Also, I'm a podcast launch coach, and I help people and organizations launch their podcasts as well as grow and monetize them. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you next week. Have a great week.